Hello, and welcome to the podcast on Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. I have a special announcement as well today, and I'm going to take my time. I almost considered having a chair up here so I could just could stay focused, uh, but I want to announce something to the entire church about some changes that are going to be happening here that are very, very positive, and um, I'm excited to be a part of it, but I'm only one part of it, and so it's been a few months now that I have just really felt that what the church needed was more than what I could even, my capacity-wise, I could provide alone and, um, and could do justice for what you guys deserve and where this, I believe the Lord is, is leading Emmanuel as a whole. And, um, and so I, I approached the board back in August and said, hey, I really think you know, we need to consider expanding the team um, and what that would look like. And, and um, you know what I do with Kiko is very, very much full-time for me. Uh, and it's ministry, and here it's it's also ministry and ministry jobs alone. Just no no bounds on your schedule or your hours. They just they call on you when they need you type of thing. And so, I just felt like we needed more support here, and I, I kind of extended that to the board on how do we pray on where the Lord's leading us to add that support in that next layer um, of of help. And so. Starting, uh, actually, I guess now, um, BJ, I didn't realize that in this process, BJ was already pursuing pastoral ministry. Him and his family had felt the Lord just speaking to them, stirring their hearts. And, um, and so he's going to be joining me, and, and we're going to be working together as a team. And I just believe he's going to bring so much vision and passion to the table as we work together. And we just are excited about supporting one another and doing this together and seeing where the Lord continues to lead us. Um, but it's just going gonna, gonna to be a huge help to me and I believe to this church. And I can't wait to see how the Lord just continues to use and, and stretch his family. So let's encourage BJ. I'm not going anywhere. The board has tried to fire me, but they can't. It's in my contract. It's a huge buyout. Um, so, no. So, I'm just excited about, about being able to work with him and see God really uh, expand the call inside of, of him as well. And so, um, you're going to be seeing more of him up here. Uh, you're going to be seeing, and you guys are like, well, we've been seeing a lot of other people anyways, Michael. Where have you been the last four weeks? Thank the Lord. I got to take a sabbatical by being here. And so, I'm excited about preaching today as well. And I don't say this often. Um, there's a lot of times I come and I, I know I've got a real word from the Lord. I know it's very seasonal and it's applicable and he's been speaking to me. There's other times I study what I believe the Lord is leading us into and I have a word from his word. Um, but, but today is, is a mixture of those two. I believe that this, I have a very timely word. I believe the Lord has been speaking to me about this. Um, I have not fully unpacked everything that the Lord has been speaking to me about um, regarding what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but I'll just tell you a little bit of kind of what my thinking was. I told BJ a few weeks ago when we were meeting, I was like, you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving. It's time for a good, like, thank you, Matt. Maybe, a, you know, attitude of gratitude series or something, right? Though Just like something you would basically expect this time of year. And uh, so that's where I was headed about a month ago. And uh, then the Lord just began to stir my heart about two weeks ago about the goodness of God. Um, and, and I kept hearing it multiple different places, and the Lord was just dropping that in my spirit. And so I was like, man, I really think that we just need to focus on his goodness, because isn't his, his goodness what leads to thanksgiving? You know, isn't it experiencing and tasting the Lord himself that leads to an, an attitude of gratitude? And, and so that's where I started studying uh, this past week. Um, but it's not at all where we're going to go. Uh, we're going to talk about something completely different, and we're going to really talk about these next two weeks, some things some aspects, um, even some, some sins and some roots, some devices that the enemy uses that keep us from experiencing his goodness, that keep us from experiencing and tasting everything that he has for us in this life. And so um, I just want to pray for us as, as we get started and as we dive into his word. Father, I just ask that you would 
remove uh, any inclination or opinion or, or thought that I may have. And I just ask, Holy Spirit, um, use me as a vessel in these next moments. I, I know we're going to open up the Word of God, but I also believe, Holy Spirit, you have something very uh, strategic you want to speak to our hearts. I believe you're very concerned about our hearts today. Um, and so, Lord, I, I'm just asking that we open them right now, uh, Holy Spirit, and, and you have access to say what you're trying to say to us. I believe there's going to be some healing today. I believe there's going to be some understandings um, that are going to shift. Lord, I believe there's going to be some hurts that are going to be released, some unforgiveness. God, I, I just thank you that you care so much about us that uh, you, would, you would speak to us and address some areas that keep us from experiencing your fullness in our lives. And so we just thank you for that. And thank you for your mercy. That is your mercy in our lives. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Amen. So today, uh, as we embark on the first week, I want you to think about, you know, blank keeps me from giving thanksgiving. You know, what are some of the things that keep you from giving thanksgiving? Uh, is it, well, I didn't get the promotion? Is it, you know, um, is it that you didn't get something you were expecting? Is it, you know, almost that sense of entitlement that also keeps us from giving thanks because we can't recognize what the Lord is already doing? Uh, what is that? What is that blank? And so fill in that blank for me today of what it is that keeps you from giving thanks. Is it we just are in such a, a rat race of culture and we're so busy and, and, and just our, our pace is so fast that we don't pause enough to recognize what he is doing? Possibly. I think that's, I think that's often the case for me. Um, I think that there are things that keep me from giving thanks because I had a part in it or someone else did it or it was going to happen on its own, wasn't it? And so sometimes we don't recognize that all things in our life are truly father-filtered, that he is sovereign. And though I don't understand why things sometimes don't work out the way that I want them to, I trust him and I declare in faith, right, even when I don't see it, that he's still working. It's funny, this week, Levi, it was this week, wasn't it? They, uh, the family came, I think, to bring me an iced coffee from Duncan's. If you've got a good spouse, they bring you iced coffee. It worked. That's, that's how I can tell. And so Candy had said, hey, you want an iced coffee? And blah, blah, blah. And so they come, and Levi always wants to get out. I think this particular day, they didn't get out. They stayed in the car seats, and I just talked to him for a few moments. And, and as they're pulling out, Levi starts singing the, the chorus of that song, even, even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel, you know. And, and I'm not sure if he, I was like, I texted Kenny. I was like, is he talking about God or is he talking about his dad? Like, what's happening? You know, because he just left my workplace. And she's like, I think maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. And so he's talking about even when, yeah, even when I don't see my dad, he's still working at Kiko. He's still busy. He's still going for it. And that, I was like, that's right, Levi. That's kind of true. But think about even the things that we don't observe or see. There's a song that, that starts like this. Make me more aware of your presence. Holy Spirit, make me more aware of your presence. And I think oftentimes it's not a lack of God working or his presence not being in our midst. It's, it's more about our awareness. It's more about our perspective and what we're distracted by versus what we're honed in on. But today we're going to talk about something very, very specific. We're going to talk about something that I believe might be the greatest killer for us experiencing the goodness of God, and that is bitterness. Happy Thanksgiving, right? This is not really your uh, Thanksgiving topic, but I believe the Lord is really speaking to me and to us today about this. Luke 6, verse 45, and we're going to go to Ephesians 4. So if you're turning your Bibles where we're going to first start really diving in deep, start turning to Ephesians 4, and we're going to get there here in just a minute. But Luke 6, verse 45 says this. It says, a good man brings good things... A good man brings good things out of the good that is stored up in his heart. You've heard it before. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For what? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. We can't help but articulate what is in our heart. Right? The, the scripture tells us, first of all, that the heart is that treasure box. It is the place that we hide and, and keep 
the, the most precious things to, to us, whether right or wrong, that's where, we, that's where we really keep them. It is a place where we store what is most valuable. And Jesus tells us that if you ever want to know what is inside someone else's treasure box, what, he, what is inside their heart, then listen to what they say. Listen to their speech. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. You know, and I was studying, I was like, well, there's a, people are just different. You know, my wife can, can be reserved in a new crowd, and she can seem uh, shy and quiet. Does, does that mean just because she doesn't talk as much as I do that, that she's just got a better heart? Yes, she does have a better heart than I do, true. But just because someone's personality doesn't lead them to talk a lot doesn't necessarily mean that their heart is full of good, right? It means just wait. The principle's still the same. Wait till they do begin to speak, and it will be the overflow of what's inside. It will always still be the same, regardless of personality, regardless if you're a, a yapper or a trapper, Right, the, the what is in there is going to come out. I think about Judah, my eight-year-old. I'm glad he's not in here. I'm going to talk about him for a second. He's my quiet one. He is the one that ponders and processes, and usually gives us like really good, wise nugget or just practical things. Like Ellie, you shouldn't play in the street. I'm like, oh yes, Ellie, no, that's right. She's older, but still. But Judah is just the one that ponders, and he's the rule follower, and he thinks through. Uh, it's funny because he even will think through things and try to stump, um, stump the, the small group leaders uh, as he comes to youth and participates on Thursday nights. Nolan was just telling me a couple of weeks ago, he was in the group with uh, Nolan and the, the youth were talking about Moses. And they were talking about the exodus from Egypt and all the plagues that had happened and the last plague being uh, the killing of the firstborn. And so they're, they've got these three or four questions they're discussing and Judah's been thinking about all these questions that could stump the leaders. He's like, hmm. And so he, he raises his hand as soon as they get in there, and he's like, Nolan, what, who would be the one that would be killed if it was two boys and they were twins? And, so, and I don't know if he realizes that Nolan's a twin, and he has a brother, right? A twin brother. And so I'm like, Judah, why are you, like, does that even matter? Like, and so he's then like, well, what, who would be the one, you know, and he's got all these different questions that he's been thinking about to stump him to see, like, I'm going to get around being the firstborn that was killed. You know, I'm, the plague's not going to touch me for, you know, not just the blood on the doorpost, but, and so Judah just, he's the ponderer. But with that being said, when he does open his mouth, we can see sometimes what's in his heart. And there's some things that we have to guide him in and direct him through. He loves his Nintendo Switch that we allowed him to buy during these last six months because it, we're, yeah, we can't, we don't go all the places. You don't go to co-op. We, we're like, you've got to have some, please go entertain yourself somewhere else. So we let him buy this Nintendo Switch. A little regretful now, my wife believes. But, but we let him buy. So now he's consumed with all these Nintendo games that he wants, all these Mario games. And so he has figured out, he Googled the other day and came to me. He says, Dad, I Googled how can an eight-year-old make money? And I'm like, oh, Lord, here we go. First of all, do we have the parental settings on Google? And, and he comes out, he says, I can begin to do yard work for our neighbors. I'm like, you can. Tell me what yard equipment you have, son. Well, don't you have such and such and such? I'm like, I do. I'll rent those to you. And so we begin to start, we begin to talk about the things I have. And we don't have a lot of trees. I'll be honest. We planted three since we've lived there. We cut down the one we actually had when we started, but we don't have a lot of leaves. There are tiny trees and there's not a lot of leaves. So I don't have a rake. Yesterday, because he had been pestering me. I, I like to say it a better way, but that's the truth of it. He had been pestering me on, Dad, can we make flyers? And I said, yes, what are you going to do? What are we going to put on that flyer? What is, and, and who are you going to tell him to contact? And what's your, what's your hours of availability? And, and so just he wants to put them in everybody's mailbox. And then go to my parents' neighborhood where they have a lot of old trees in Holston Hills and sticks that have fallen and offer his services. And I said, okay, but you need to come up with a game plan. And I said, well, we haven't made any flyers, Judah. I said, I tell you what, let's start here. Let's start by being a blessing before we want to wage, all right? Let's start, we have, and I picked out the two houses. He didn't know why, I told him afterwards. I said, let's start with the lady who lives across the street and let's gather all the leaves around her tree. 
And so I got my little blower and he's, we borrowed the neighbor's rake because I don't own one. And so I said, this is a Blue Hawk, Greg. I know where it came from, from Lowe's. If we break it, we're buying you a new one. So Judah's out there, he's raking and I'm blowing. And we finished that one and we go up the street and I said, let's knock on this door. I think she's home. Both of these were uh, the houses of widows in our neighborhood. And so it was, it was a teaching opportunity for me with Judah. And so we knocked on this lady's door, and she came to the door, and and her husband actually was tragically killed about a year and a half ago in a car wreck. And and I knew Malcolm, and uh, and I know Erica a little bit. But I knew that she didn't have a lot of support. And so I I knocked on the door, and I said, hey, we're just out here blessing our neighbors. I said, "Can can we bless you by getting your leaves? And I underestimated the number of leaves that I was looking at. So we began... An hour and a half later, I'm using the gas blower in her yard, not my battery powered. It's done. And, and I, we got the gas blower, and poor Judah's covered in leaves because the gas blower is pretty powerful, and he's raking what he can. And I mean, it's around this tree, and there's three trees. And, and we finish up, and I said, Judah, come on, come on back to the house. I want to talk to you. And I said, you could have asked for a wage, and you could have gotten what you earned. Now, mind you, let me tell you what happened in between while we were at house number two. The lady from house number one discovered who did it and said, son, why, thank you so much. You know, we need more good people. Like you said some affirming words to him about his heart. I said, well, here's why we're doing it, okay? You don't have to give him a penny, okay? And she said, no, I want to, and handed him a $20 bill. Mind you, I had planned on giving Judah like a couple of bucks just for doing it for the right reason. I was not going to give him 20 <laughs> I said, buddy, you just got more than what I was going to give you. I'm going to tell you. And so we get back to the house, and I said, Judah, I want to tell you why we raked leaves for these two houses, particularly, because we could have done a lot of other ones. And so I explained to him, I said, James chapter 1 says this, true Christianity, I didn't say true religion, I said true Christianity is taking care of what? Widows and orphans. I said, do you know what an orphan orphan is? And he does, right? We've had that conversation a whole lot. We foster and all that kind of stuff. And he says, yeah. I said, do you know what a widow is? No. So we explained that, you know, and I said, we are called to support those who can't support themselves any longer, who have lost their supports. That's true Christianity. I said, and that's what we, that's why we chose these two houses. They're, they're, I said, tell me who lives there. Are they older or younger? Older. Um, do they have uh, anyone there that's helping them with yard work? You know, is it, is it a, just a, a lady and does she do her? No. Okay. I said, that's why we did that. I said, you could have earned your wage if you had set a price. I said, but you would have robbed yourself of the blessing. I said, when you do something for someone else because it is the right thing to do, you op- I said, you don't do it expecting them to give you anything, but you do it because it is more blessed to give than it is to actually receive. I said, when we operate by a wage, we get what we earned. But when we operate in blessing, we get more than we could ever expect because that's how God's kingdom works. And so there was this principle that even when we are quiet, what comes out of our mouth, we have an opportunity to direct that. Judah has a good heart, but man, he's a penny pincher. And he is so frugal and focused sometimes. But we have an opportunity, and our Father in heaven, he deals with us the same way. He puts us in situations where we have to depend on him, where we have an opportunity to bless someone else, even in our own need or want and to open up ourselves to be a recipient of the blessings of heaven. Because you can earn a wage at your job just like I do, but when we operate out of an abundance and we choose to bless when there's no strings attached, we get to be a, a, a partaker in a kingdom that is an overflowing with God's goodness. And we never lack. And he likes to show off in our lives just like he did. And so... I hear people say to me, oh, you know, it's, it's okay because even what comes out of my mouth, I'm, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just following my heart. Have you ever heard someone say that? I'm just following my heart. And I hear it all the time. I, I'm just following my heart. Pastor Michael, wherever it leads me must be where God wants me to end up. That has to be maybe the most asinine thing I have heard in all of 2020. But we hear it all the time in our culture that I'm just following my heart. Let me remind us all of what the scripture says about our hearts. First of all, it says, above all else, guard your heart. 
for what flows out, for everything you do flows from it. I love the translation for literally rivers of water, of living water. Life come from the heart. But here's what the scripture also says, and Jeremiah says, above all else, your heart is what? Deceitfully wicked. When we're following our heart, and this is where my mom is a kid, she, she, did, she taught me to reinterpret Jiminy Cricket. <laughs> Isn't this profound today? You guys are learning so much. <laughs> but she would say, Jiminy Cricket tells us to what, what to be our guide? Let, have y'all heard it? Let my conscience be my guide? He whistles, he's got the little hat and the cane, and he dances just like that. Those that are watching online, y'all are getting a show. So Jiminy would sing this song about letting our conscience be our God. And my mom would be like, our conscience is not, our heart is deceitfully wicked. Our conscience will lead us towards things that could be a pitfall and an entrapment of sin and slavery to the things of this world. We are to be led by the Spirit of God. We are to be led by what he wants to do and orchestrate in our lives, by the word that we can rest assured is true, that leads to freedom, not to just a false sense of that that is another form of enslavement. And so don't let your heart just what is overflowing, don't let your heart be your guide today. Let that be what you guard, not your guide. Let it be what you guard and you allow the Lord to begin to transform and to redeem because he's making all things new, including what's in our heart. And so I want, to, I want us to get into Ephesians 4. So if you've turned there with me, we're going to start in verse 29. Ephesians 4, verse 29, and I'm leading somewhere. We're talking about Thanksgiving, more specifically, things that keep us from experiencing God's goodness today, bitterness. Verse 29 says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me read through 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. He can be grieved. With whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And 31. But instead, Paul says, get rid of all what? bitterness, and he associates with bitterness also rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. He says, instead, though, put on these things, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just just as in Christ, God forgave you. Just as in Christ, God forgave you. And this is where I want us to stay for just a couple of minutes. You see, in that first verse, in 29, he compares unwholesome. And I think a lot of times we're like, man, you shouldn't be using them words, them four-letter words. I told you, stop swearing. And we use it, and that that can be true. But here, I believe Paul is is taking this a whole other direction. He's saying, no, what is coming out of your heart, what is even filling your mouth, are things that aren't building others up. Literally, what you're saying is tearing down, maybe creating division, causing more. You're feeding into the problem. You're not creating solutions with what you say. He says, do not let anything unwholesome come out of your mouth. And he compares unwholesome with what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. And when we have something in our mouth that is not for the edification of the others, he says it is then filled with rottenness, curses, poison versus the blessing. We've aligned our language and we've allowed what is in our heart to overflow to speak something that is actually creating more curses, more poison. We're, we're begetting the problem. We're, we're creating more than what was even already there. And so he says this is what is grieving to the Holy Spirit. He says, because you're operating in something that is actually quenching what he says then you have been called to, which is the day of redemption. He says, you're actually quenching the redemptive work of Christ, both in your own life and what I've called you to carry out in the world. You know what God has started? He has commissioned us as ambassadors right? Of reconciliation. The redemption redemption of all things is still occurring in our world. 
He is carrying it out through his people. The Holy Spirit is empowering them. And it is happening in your workplace and in your family and in our society. Hopefully, because God's people are not living in a way that grieves the Holy Spirit in their life, but are continuing to operate in that spirit of redemption. And he goes on. He says, hey, get rid of all these things. Bitterness, rage, anger, etc. And he says, instead, how many of you know that it's not just enough to have a life that is void of things that are evil? Because isn't that the house that is swept clean and the spirits return to it seven times stronger? It is not a, and this is where I actually do agree with replacement theology, because we should replace the negative things that, that, that of the flesh with the things of the spirit. Christianity is not the same as, as just mindful absence where we just sit there and go, mm, we're just at peace with everything. And nothing, but that's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. They're very, very different. And I think sometimes we even can quench the spirit of God by, not, by understanding that it is, it is even, we're going to get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. Be angry, but do not sin. Having these emotions isn't the problem. It's where you allow them to lead you and what you do with them. Do not let the sun go down. We'll get there. I'm getting ahead of myself. But as Christ followers, please listen to this. This is good. This is what I believe the Lord was speaking to me this week. As Christ followers, we are called to calculate, right, what is a benefit to others. This is literally a calculation right here. but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Christ's followers are called to calculate and contribute to the welfare of those around us and to speak to their edifications and to build them up. So if we're living our life and just going, going with the flow, and I believe the Lord drops things in our hearts at certain times that we are meant to share. And you know what? James really helped me get in the habit of this. He would constantly say, if you've got something, if you have a nice thought, don't let it be just a thought. Let it be something you text or call and say and tell that person that you were thinking about them and praying for them and like text them. And, and so I've gotten in this habit of that because the, the scripture says as Christ followers, we are actually to calculate and we believe that we are being led by the spirits. This is not quenching the spirit, but instead allowing the overflow of what he is doing to be edifying to those around us. And so as we do that, we put aside, we get rid of all the things that would inhibit us from walking in harmony with one another, which is bitterness, rage, and anger. And so bitterness is not only the opposite of sweetness when it comes to savory, but the opposite of kindness when it comes to character. Bitterness is the opposite of sweetness when it comes to what you eat in your food. But here Paul says that bitterness is the opposite of kindness when it comes to the character of Christ. It is what that leads us to repentance? It is the kindness of God, Paul would write to the Romans. It is his kindness that we taste his goodness that actually leads to a, a 180 turn, a transformation of the heart. It is his kindness. This is the seed of redemption in a person's life. You tasted of the kindness that he was willing to forgive you even when you weren't worth forgiving, you thought to yourself, right? I don't deserve it. That's exactly right. That's how rich his goodness is. It is his kindness that says, Lord, why do I want this? I've been looking for you all along. This is what I've been longing for. I have finally, finally found what satisfies. It is his kindness that leads to repentance. The opposite is what will keep us from experiencing his goodness is bitterness. His bitterness. And we're going to dive into what that looks like for us. You know, psycho uh, bitterness harbors resentment. And it keeps a score of wrongs. Rage is what flows from bitterness in an outburst of uncontrollable passion and frustration. Psychologists say this. They say, don't let anger mature into bitterness. 
You see, bitterness is simply murder in diapers. It's the infancy of murder because it's bitterness that leads to rage and anger and you wish ill and harm on those that you have it directed towards. You're not asking for their, their embitterment. You're not speaking blessings. Instead, you want curses on them. This is the infancy of, of murder, the spirit of bitterness. Paul says this, though, in 1 Corinthians 13. He says this about love. Oh, let me get there. It says, love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. This is the love of Christ that he wants to show through us. It keeps no record of wrongs. Easier said than done, Paul. He says, in your anger, though, do not sin. You know, I think living from a place of being forgiven and understanding God's uh, forgiveness and acting out of that place of love and acceptance, that's what will insulate us from bitterness. I think when we fail to, to be able to forgive others is because we're having a hard time receiving and accepting God's forgiveness for ourselves. Maybe we're not wanting to forgive ourselves and we're wanting to hold that against ourselves. And that, that can be the beginning of when we don't understand, we don't fully taste the kindness of God for our own trespasses, our own sin, our own iniquity, that we can't give it to others. You know, Jesus says this, according to the measure that you are willing to forgive, that is how you will be forgiven. And that's a really difficult passage, I think, for, for a lot of pastors, for a lot of believers to really understand. But, but Jesus says that there is this same measurement to which you extend forgiveness to how you will also receive it. You think about it, it actually hit me as uh, Christian was going through Thursday night with the youth about the murder of the first, the killing of the firstborn with that final plague. You guys are aware of that, right? That was the final plague. That seems pretty harsh when you're talking to middle school and high schoolers about God did what? But remind me, what was Pharaoh already doing in his nation with all the Israel boys? He was killing the boys, wasn't he? Do you understand that the extent to which Pharaoh was acting in hate and anger, it was measured back to his own people? This is a pattern. This, you can read all throughout Scripture, and you'll see what is called in the law of retribution. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Like there is this um, spiritual, I don't want to call it karma, but we reap what we sow. It's the law of what God has instilled in all of creation. If you sow to the flesh, you will reap from the flesh. If you sow to the things of the Spirit, then you will also reap the things of the Spirit, leading to life and peace, according to Romans 8. And so here, I believe that forgiveness and understanding God's goodness is what insulates and protects us from the bitter root. The result of a life that is grounded in God's love and forgiveness has something that flows from it as well, and that's thankfulness. I think thankfulness is probably one of the most admirable virtues. But conversely said, I think bitterness is one of the most unattractive. You ever been around someone that everything that they said was just Man, negative Nancy, right? You're just hanging out with them and you just leave feeling heavy. You just leave feeling disgusted. You know what I mean? You're just everything. Woe is me. Nothing's ever in my favor. God, you know, everything's against me. They have this view on life. And I think a lot of it comes back to them being able to accept and experience the forgiveness and goodness of God. There is this insecurity that that bitterness is rooted out of because they've not found the security in who they are in him. And so the transition, I would say that some of the scariest people even that I have met have been the most bitter, the most bitter, the most, the most vile people I have even known in history, I think had such bitterness running through their veins. Such bitterness and, and I think there's always a way for us to reason bitterness, right? People that are bitter justify it, right? And when we're unforgiving, oh, we have a reason for why I'm not forgiving them. They did, uh-uh, why should I forgive them? Friends, don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying that we have to trust them again. Trust has to be earned. Forgiveness does not. Trust has to be earned. Well, they really hurt me. They abused. 
I am not saying you trust them again, but that bitterness isn't doing them a lick of harm. It is only poisoning you. Bitterness is that poison that only destroys the vessel that, it, that holds it. That is what bitterness is. And in the New Testament, think about this of what thankfulness will do. You remember the story where Paul talks about you're invited to a meal, and I've never been invited to any of your meals where you offered me meat that was sacrificed to an idol. But Paul puts it in this context where he says, you go to someone's house and they have offered a sacrifice to an idol. Literally, it has been given to a a device of destruction, right? And it could be poison to you at that point to partake of. He says, but the prayer of what? Thanksgiving. The prayer of thanksgiving is what decontaminates what was said against you. You see that? Being thankful and operating in forgiveness isn't going to necessarily keep you from hard times or or pain. But when we operate in thanksgiving, even what was said against us becomes decontaminated. Amen? Even what was said against us becomes decontaminated. It's thankfulness versus bitterness. And you hear the question, have you ever heard anyone say, well, well, can Christians be influenced by the demonic? Can they have a demon? And I remember as a kid, I got to meet John Wimber, uh, founder of the Vineyard uh, denomination, the Vineyard Movement. And uh, he says this about, can, can Christians even be influenced by the demonic? He says, can, can Christians have a demon? And he says, well, they make terrible pets. I don't know why you'd want one. And I think that's very true, right? They, they make terrible pets. But the idea is, is that the scripture says this. He warns us to not give place to the devil. So that means as believers that we actually can give room for the influence of the demonic in our life. We can give place to him. And I believe bitterness and unforgiveness is one of the greatest chinks that we can give the enemy away in an avenue in, in a place to decontaminate and defile our hearts. And I'm interested in your hearts today. uh, Bill Johnson says this. He says three things that he believes... um, really open people up to the enemy's activity in their life. He says three things. He says in all his years of counseling, he says three things that he has seen primary as what really open up people to demonic activity. And he says one is drug abuse and addiction. And he says especially with hallucinogenics. And then he said sexual morality. He said, but, but the third one would be bitterness and unforgiveness. This opens us up to what the enemy can just wreak havoc in our hearts and in our lives. But the Lord is wanting us to operate and understand his kindness, to put on something completely different. And I remember uh, a few years ago, I was sitting down with a young man, and um, he was older than me. And he had come off the streets in some of the communities where we live. I mean, just he, he had been in the gangs. He had been rough around the edges and um, I really like this guy, and I want, I see a call just on his life, and I want to see him thrive in that. But as I was talking with him, we were meeting at the Duncans, again, coffee, here it comes. We were meeting at the Duncans in South Knoxville, right across the river. And I remember where we were sitting, and as he began to just share with me some of the things that were in his heart, I began to hear all the unforgiveness and the bitterness that he had towards the city as to why he didn't get this grant funding and towards other pastors who weren't supporting his vision, towards all these other people who misunderstood or didn't want to be a part of what he was doing. And I got such red flags in my spirit as he began to just spew these things out. I saw the call on his life. I knew the Lord had redeemed him and plucked him from some nastiness. And I knew that God wanted to use him but there was this bitterness and this unforgiveness that was keeping him from fulfilling that. It was defiling him as a vessel. And and bitterness does this. When it defiles us, it also defiles everyone that we're influencing. It defiles everyone we come in contact with. If I have unforgiveness, boy, you're going to know it. You're going to hear it. You're going to pick up on it. It's going to influence what I say and how I lead. It's going to influence my family. You're not going to be able to be blind to to bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness defiles me and it defiles everyone under me. And it does nothing to the person that that I'm bitter at. Forgiveness, though, 
It is something that we give even when it's not earned. Just a reminder there. And Jesus taught us in that famous prayer, right? Give us this day our daily bread, right? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as what? As we also forgive our debtors. And so we are taught to start our day with already choosing and being committed to being a forgiver. And this is what Jesus said would be our daily bread. Here's how you will be sustained today to determine to forgive before you're even wronged. To be determined that you're not going to allow what someone else does to you or says about you to manipulate where your heart ends up going. That you've already set out at the beginning of the day that I will forgive. And bitterness, it has become so empowered in our political climate right now, folks. When we say, I mean, God's not Republican or Democratic or Libertarian or Socialist, He's none of those things. I get that. The question is not about whose side is God on. The question is whose side are we on? And there are things that the Lord despises and He loves. And I think, uh, I've heard Mike Bickle say this, that God's anger is always aimed at what interferes His love. And what God is is wanting to do right now in our nation even, and in, in, in we go and we, 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 God doesn't have an opinion, right? He's always right. And we align ourselves with him. There's this story about Joshua and an angel. And um, it, the angel appears to Joshua and, and Joshua says to him, he says, whose side are you on? And the angel's like, no, no, no. Whose side are you on? Because God's always right. He's on the right side. Where are we posturing ourselves? And today, we've given such credence to walking in an attitude that is full of bitterness, that is even full of anger and full of hatred, that maybe things didn't happen or people don't see things, but that is not harming anyone other than ourselves. The emotion of anger, it is natural. And if you are not angry, I would wonder sometimes if you're if you're truly living in the same world I'm living, if you're not angry when a child is abused about something, then there's something that's off, right? There's some things that we should be angry about, but we don't allow our anger to lead to sin. If I am bitter, guess what? My volume increases. I become louder, but my influence decreases. Sometimes the loudest people are not always right. They're just bitter. They are coming from a place of, and believe me, bitterness doesn't have to do with what is right or wrong. What was done was right or what was done was wrong. No, it has to do with how you have aligned your heart after experiencing that. Bitterness is the aftermath of something that you had a choice to make. Will I respond this way? But it was unjust. But are you going to allow an an injustice to control and to manipulate your heart in the wellsprings of life? That is what we are supposed to guard above all else. And so we start our day with with determining to be a forgiver. But Ephesians 4, 26 here, it says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And so we start the day that way, but we also choose to not go to bed with bitterness and anger, just stewing and cultivating poison in our lives. This is something from start to finish that the scripture is telling us is something that we have to safeguard against. And the opposite of that would be the thankfulness that we express because of the goodness and kindness of God that we are experiencing. I have to admit this last year, um, in 2020, I've had a lot of opportunities to be bitter. I've had a lot of opportunities to be hurt. I've had a lot of letters and emails and phone calls that honestly I could have walked away from and just just been poisoned by bitterness. And we have to be careful uh, that, that even those were around, because my wife could have picked up my offense. And sometimes she does. When we're in meetings or things happen or I'm telling her about a situation, she real quick can sometimes pick up an offense from me that I am even trying to let go of and not be bitter, but forgive. And she can hold on to that, or you can hold on to it for someone else. 
And so we have to be real careful that even when there is opportunity for offense, that we choose to walk in forgiveness and to put an end to the root of bitterness. We have to cut that off and walk in the, in the call of Christ. I was sharing with my staff this week something I had heard, that oftentimes those that we minister to, we, we oftentimes can take up their offense. You know, I work, with, uh, I work in a lot of communities that, uh, that, that are in poverty, and, and I could take up in, in working with them some of the injustices that have been done, or, or I could take up offenses at the rich as to why they don't have some of the same economic opportunities and job provisions and things like that. Or if I'm working with the rich, I could be offended at those who don't work. Or if I'm working with children, I could be offended with adults who don't value the life of a child. Or in working with adults, I could be offended at teenagers that don't show them the respect that I think they deserve. Or if I'm working with one race, I could be offended with another. And so we have to be really, really careful when we are ministering or around certain people that we don't take up their offenses. Because we were never designed. We were designed to carry burdens, not bitterness. And those are very, very different. One is led by the Spirit and leads to life. One is led by the flesh and leads to death. It is an operation out of the law of you did me wrong and you deserve something. That is the spirit of the law that leads to death. But the spirit that leads to life says I choose to give what I have received that I too did not deserve. I'm given forgiveness freely. John the Baptist, he says this about not letting the sun go down in your anger. He says, Produce fruit worthy of your repentance. And when we claim some spiritual realities, there has to be a measurability in the natural. The scripture says that if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you, you can't say that. You're a liar. Claiming an unseen reality has to be measurable in the natural. It has to have an effect, an impact on our heart. If I am angry at someone and I forgive them, and I choose not to forgive them, and I'm bitter towards them, my behavior changes towards them. But if I choose to release them, I then build in these measures of, you know what? Man, I need, Lord, help me. I'm going to pray for them right now. Maybe they've already passed away. God, I pray blessings upon their, their family, that they would be generations that would experience your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We can have an opportunity to pray God's goodness and blessings on those that have maybe even meant us harm. And so we, we walk in God's blessings and we pray them upon others. And I believe even now with what our country is facing, that we need to understand God's call for us as bridge builders and as peacemakers more than ever. And forgivers and, and continuing the redemptive work that God has started in our lives. And not forfeit that to take up the offense of someone else and walk in bitterness. We don't want what we are about and what our lives exhibit to, define, to be defined by our offense. I don't want my ministry to, to be defined by some sort of you know, soapbox offense that I have. And I don't want your life to be defined by some sort of bitterness in an event that happened, but instead of the gospel and the good news of what he has done and is doing in and around us. I believe God does care about the issues that are at stake in the nations of the world, including ours. But I want to say this, that the enemy, he doesn't care about your opinion or what side of the issues you even land on as long as you will abandon the character of Christ to defend it. You could be as right as right can be, but if you abandon the nature of Christ to defend that, the enemy has won. We can't allow that to happen in our lives and in the influence that he wants to have today in and through us. We forfeit the ability to, to continue to minister to our world to be a part of the redemptive cause and goodness that he is renewing all things in our midst. I know some folks now in this city that just, oh man, I'm, I'm concerned for, I pray for them. They're believers. They love the Lord. They work in some of the same communities as I do. 
and they have taken up the, the offenses of, the, of those people. And they, they operate, you can, you can see it in their postings and in, my, in the dealings I have with them, they're operating out of bitterness. It's not a well of life. They're actually creating more walls from, from the believers they believe are really on the right side and the believers who haven't gotten there yet. They're creating more walls. I don't want to be about that. I want to be about building bridges. That is what God, the peacemaker, is about in the redemptive process. Are there things, are there injustices that we should be standing against and those that we should be standing for? Absolutely. But if we do it in such a way that we abandon the character of Christ, the enemy has won, not him. And the Lord's speaking in my heart. I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. But I want you to turn with me to Hebrews 12 as we're kind of landing this. You guys getting anything out of this today? Happy Thanksgiving as we talk about bitterness, right? Hebrews 12, we're going to start at verse 12. I'm going to read a few verses here, though. I had through verse 17, but I think I'm only going to read through verse 15. So Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. And so this is coming on the heels of the Hall of Faith, right? We've got all those faith heroes um, that are listed in chapter 11 and what faith is. And now we get into this chapter on renewing our mind according to the word, not letting, uh, not let, I'm sorry, not, that's, that's uh, Romans 12. We, we get into this uh, throwing off the, the weights of sin that so easily entangle us. That's the beginning of this chapter. Um, and Hebrews 12 continues. We're going to jump into 12 now. Therefore, he says, though, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's talking about healing happening in in the lives of those around us. He says, and you're going to do this by making every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. For without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. This is what I was talking about, where the bitterness that we partake of and we allow to fester within ourselves, it, it is passed on. It, it affects those we're around and we influence. And this week, um, <laughs> I joke with, with some of my staff, Carolyn and Tara, they went to go get some lunch at this Honduran uh, restaurant near our work, and and uh, Carolyn got this drink, some mango uh, concoction that she, you know, got it. And she knows the people that own this restaurant, I believe. And she's, she's getting this drink and she's like, this, this doesn't taste right. This is definitely off. Goes up, <laughs> goes up to the people and tells them, this drink just doesn't taste right. I think something's wrong with it. And they're like, no, 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 that's the way it's supposed to taste. And they finally go and they get us chasing. And they're like, oh, it's fermented. It's bad. It was really bad. And the thing is, is that when we produce something that we is supposed to be a certain way and maybe even out of timing, out of season, it begins to ferment and to fester. It, it just doesn't taste right. I remember being in Japan. I remember on a mission trip, we were all eating the food that had been brought to us, right? We, pl- we prayed the, the prayer of Thanksgiving over it, but there was something off about the way it tasted and we could tell. And the, the meat that we were eating had spoiled. And there were a lot of us that ended up with some food poisoning. And I'll just say, I personally defiled many, okay? It was not a good night for anyone on our team. But when there is something, even just the smallest bit of bitterness, it can, it can defile so many. It is that yeast that leavens the whole lump. That bitterness just works its way through. Just a little bit can spoil so much. And have you ever had, if we eat of that meal, though, of criticism and accusation, then we will be food poisoned. It can't help but poison our hearts. But my prayer is that we come both ridiculously thankful to insulate us from bitterness and also become so allergic to bitterness. It just, it, it just is repelling and repulsive to us. 
Have you ever just had, like, something's just set you off? Maybe you've even negatively interpreted something that's happened and you've misunderstood it, but your mind's just racing with all these thoughts of, oh, I'm just so sick. And your bitterness is just overtaking your thoughts. I've heard this said before that God can't change your mind, but he can change your heart. Change your thoughts, and he'll change your heart. God can't change your mind, but he will change your heart. But fix your thoughts on something else, and he will change your heart. That's why Paul tells us in Philippians 4.8, Finally, brothers, dwell on these things, whatever is true, lovely, praiseworthy. When we begin to shift our thoughts and we choose not to, to partake of the poison of bitterness, the Lord can then begin to change our heart as we accept and experience His forgiveness. Bruce, would you come up for a minute? I want to land this plane because I believe that this is just the beginning of something where I believe God is taking us and experiencing His goodness and removing some of these barriers that keep us from experiencing God's goodness. And bitterness might be one of the greatest things that keeps us from experiencing God's goodness in our life. And you, you may have to make the decision to literally fear Christ and other people. That literally as you're praying for them, you're saying, God, I just don't have it. But Lord, I'm going to believe that they are yours and you have created them uniquely and wonderfully you have made them. And you begin to even fear Christ in them because there is nothing else that is in you that is drawn to that situation or that person at the time. And you begin to pray for them. The Lord, I know I'm not perfect and neither are they. And, but God, I pray, I pray your blessings. I pray your victory. I pray your freedom. We can't give thought to the thoughts that have potential to set the roots of bitterness in our hearts. We can't entertain those things. Bitter thoughts are not okay. It is what proceeds. It is the infancy of what will destroy our lives and others. Bitterness keeps us from reason. And we want to have the tools to walk in forgiveness and health and healing for those around us. We want to walk in the redemptive work of Christ. And the answer isn't being defensive. The answer is, right, for a defense is a good offense. We want to keep the ball out of the enemy's hands. We don't want to give him one chance to win in our lives. And we don't want to give bitterness an inch in our hearts. We don't want to give him place. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? Father, I believe that you are thrusting us into a world full of darkness, even things that we are experiencing now, God, but you're calling us to be ambassadors of your reconciliation and redemption. And I pray, Lord, that there are so many of us, even in this place today, that we need a, a, a realization of your forgiveness, of how much your kindness and your goodness are for us. God, would you allow your Holy Spirit to come and just to give us a revelation of your goodness, of us debtors, we have inherited something that wasn't ours because Christ has purchased it for us and has taken the wages, what we have earned, and now we are partakers of a blessing, not a wage. So Lord, give us a spiritual revelation of this today. Allow us to be able to even pray blessings upon our enemies that where we have been cursed, we turn it back to a blessing. We insulate our heart with thankfulness, God. We don't allow the enemy even an inch today. Lord, allow this bitter root that has invaded our culture and invaded our lives and invaded the church even, Lord, that has festered poison. God, we just pray that we would be rid of this. This anger, this hate. We're known by what we're against. Then the kindness of God than extending your grace. Let us take up not a sword, but a towel that we would serve, that we would wash the feet of others. God, and I believe that there's so many things that we could be bitter about until we begin 
to wash someone else's feet. And we see where they have walked and what they have experienced. So give us the ability to serve and to wash and through empathy and compassion, extend grace and forgiveness and no longer have bitterness. Lord, I pray that for us in this place. That we would exude and overflow with thanksgiving. God, I I just want to thank you right now for your mercy upon my life. I need it day after day. Morning after morning, you tell me that they are renewed. Your mercies are renewed. We thank you, God, that they are as faithful as the, the sun is to rise and to set. That is your faithfulness for us. And so, Lord, in that same cycle, we will start our day with a posture of forgiveness and we will end it with not allowing the the enemy an inch in our heart, but in overflowing with thanksgiving for we have been forgiven much, for we have been loved much. God, we thank you. Thank you for that revelation today. It's in your name. I pray for your people. Amen and amen. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. 